Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. On Commons People this week, we have a Brexit deal. And this deal means that there was no need for any kind of prolongation. But is it dead on arrival? We can't support this deal and we'll oppose it in Parliament on Saturday. And it also is unclear if he has the support of his allies in the DUP or indeed many of his allies on his own backbenchers. And will we get a second referendum? That ain't going to happen. Why is that? Ain't going to be no second American referendum. Said, why would it happen? <laughs> because Mr. it just <laughs> won't happen. There is why? no way that we're having a second referendum. Hello and welcome to Commons People. I'm Arj Singh and joining me this week as ever is Paul Wall. Hi Arj. Hi Paul. We've also got Rachel Wearmouth with us. Hello. Hey Rachel. And our guest this week is the Labour MP and Best for Britain supporter Owen Smith. Hi Arj. How are you? Hi Owen. Very well thanks. We're in your office here and I'm looking around and I'm seeing a People's Vote uh, uh, t-shirt. A painting of you with a Welsh dragon I think. And a Jeremy Corbyn t-shirt. Ooh. Yeah, that's my that's my favourite favourite artifact. It's a Jeremy Corbyn Nike swoosh T-shirt that was given to me by Andrew Neil on live on television. <laughs> I think that was called live TV trolling. <laughs> and, and, so it's been hanging in your office for a while. Then it's been there for several years. I keep it with a deep and abiding sense of irony. <laughs> <laughs> well, on that is. The incredible has happened and Boris Johnson has pulled it off and we have a Brexit deal. But there are already questions over whether he can get it through a Commons vote on Saturday. The Prime Minister has told the EU he can, according to Chief Negotiator Michel Barnier. Let's have a listen. I am a political man and I can well imagine that the Prime Minister, uh, who is also a politician, that when he said to President Juncker this morning, I was part of this phone call uh, where we approved the agreement that was reached uh, last night, has uh, faith in his ability to convince the majority needs in the House of Commons. That's all I can say. He said that based on this agreement and uh, the uh, explanations he intends to give, that he has uh, confidence in his ability to, uh, to win that vote. That's all I can say on that. Paul, is it going to get through? <laughs> um, well, it depends on the DUP. Are they going to shift? Are they going to change their mind suddenly? Are they somehow going to side with the PM in the vote? Um, if they don't, it gets very, very tight for the Prime Minister, doesn't it? It's not impossible, but it means that he's going to have to get all of the, the Tory ERG on board, which is certainly not uh, a given. I mean, I've just been 
there's an o- overheard conversation, shall we say, from an unnamed senior Spartan this morning on his mobile phone. He was very aggressive on the phone to the person at the other end. And he said, if you try and co-op me, I'll fuck over the government and I'll fuck over the prime minister. Don't push me. I suspect that was him talking to Tory Whip saying, look, don't push your luck. Um, you know, if you try and divide the DUP from the RG, think again. Now, we've always been told that that's the case. So that's one massive problem for the prime minister. The other massive problem is... Are these level playing field assurances, which he's built into the political declaration, are they enough to get people like Stephen Kinnock, Lisa Nandy, the people who are not hardcore Labour leavers, but have been really keen on representing their constituents, is that enough to get enough of them on board to make up for the loss of possible DUP and possible Brexiteers? And that's Shall we a, just um, explain, explain level playing field? Yeah, please. level playing field means that basically that Britain won't try and undercut the European Union on workers' rights, environment rights, consumer protection, all those things. All those things that actually Jeremy Corbyn this morning has said are not in the deal. Actually, they are in the deal. They're in the political declaration. Now, you can argue, well, actually, the political de- declaration isn't binding. Therefore, they don't really amount to a row of beans. But people like Nandy and Kinnock have been asking to put them in the political declaration. Um, And, you know, political declaration, all right, it's not legally binding on its own, but it's certainly part of the whole deal. And so there's a fine calculation there. That has also upset a few Tory MPs putting that in there. And the question is, has Johnson pulled off actually quite a clever trick here, which is he's not gone full for what the Labour MPs wanted, um, but equally he's not he's pulled out some of those level playing field things from the withdrawal agreement and made them less unpalatable for Tory MPs. I don't know. Oh, and we, I mean, we've only just, I mean, you've got the text in front of you and you're reading through it as we speak. That's the drama of this morning or lunchtime now. What What do you think? Has he balanced the parliamentary seesaw? As it I think were? it's a con trick. Uh, I think there's uh, clearly an attempt to do exactly what Paul has just described and to persuade people that he is offering a, a softer Brexit with a greater degree of regulatory alignment and some warm words about um, there being a level playing field, i.e. the notion that we're not going to seek to undercut Europe by slashing workers' rights, wage levels, regulation, environmental standards, etc. All the things the Labour Party has quite rightly said we oughtn't to uh, dilute in any way, shape or form. But the point is, those things are included essentially as ambitions uh, in the political declaration, whereas hitherto, previously in May's deal, they were part of the legally binding text. Uh, And there are other passages of the political declaration which directly contradict the um, the bit about level playing field and uh, fair competition and make it plain that it is perfectly possible for the UK government to diverge and undercut as they see fit. And the, the, the bit that's uh, relevant, I'll read it to you now. It says the parties will retain their autonomy and the ability to regulate economic activity according to the levels of protection each deems appropriate in order to achieve public policy objectives on public health, animal health, welfare, social services, public education, environment, climate change, blah, 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 blah. i.e. either side can do whatever they want in future. And given that the fundamental change at the heart of this in economic terms is them shifting to saying we want a free trade agreement along the style of Canada, um, then the obvious implication is still that the British government under a Tory regime, a right-wing Tory regime with the Spartans still pulling the strings, is for them to be able to do whatever they want. So I think it's blandishments for Labour MPs and they ought to see through it. 
Yeah, Rachel, you've been getting some instant Labour reaction this morning, haven't you? Yeah, uh, well, I spoke to one senior Labour source who said that um, the numbers of Labour, the number of Labour MPs willing to back the deal is going down all the time. I think it's probably important to say that the the group of MPs um, in the Labour Party that are for a deal are, don't agree on everything. Um, a lot of them want a full customs union, whereas some are ready to to vote for a deal now. Um, and I think kind of there's a lot that Johnson could do along the lines of persuading them um, that no deal was a real threat. So if he could get somebody from the EU to to say it's it's this deal or no deal, I think that would certainly no extensions of poison pills. Yeah, yeah that would be really. I mean, I'm, I'm not sure what's in it for the EU doing that. To be honest, because um, you know, because they, you know. They've worked hard to get this deal. Would you then want to sort of blow it all up and ruin all your sort of cross-party c- contacts by by hammering Labour effectively and saying, look, it's this deal or no deal? Um, I'm not sure they they want to do that. And we haven't seen any sign yet of that, but maybe that will come out in the summit overnight, but I, I, I suspect not. But I also th- I also think that one thing that the, this group of MPs has been wanting for a long time is, is a vote on the political declaration, similar to the meaningful yeah. vote that they've been offered on... Um, this Brexit deal. So I think if they could be offered that or if that's put on the table in the coming days, I think that could be convincing. Ah, this idea that came out of the May Corbyn talks yeah. that um, Labour MPs, or whatever, all MPs would essentially have control over the future relationship. Yeah. But then that would see Brexiteer Spartans peel off. T- peel off. This is impossible, isn't it? Because don't forget, some. I mean, even the non-hardcore Brexiteers, I talked to a former cabinet minister last night who, is, who was a voted Remain, and he's one of those who says, actually, we've got to deliver on the result, even though I voted Remain. And he's not an ERG type at all. He's not a Spartan. But he said to me, look, and this is a point that Owen's made before, he said, look, um, but from a different angle, he says, if I can no longer write the rules, I don't want to be bound by them. And there's no way I'm going to sign up to anything that ties us forever to Europe and doesn't let us diverge on our on workers' rights, for example. That's a Tory who's not a Spartan. That's someone who's sort of middle of the road, former cabinet minister. And he says he wouldn't vote for it. He told me he would not vote for it. So that's the problem that Johnson's got. You lose those people if you if you pitch more towards but people as, like Lisa Nandy. But as far as I can see, Paul, that person, whoever they are, can vote for this safe in the knowledge that this absolutely allows the government to diverge, to undercut, to slash what they would call red tape. The current deal, you're absolutely right, yeah. Support and protection. They were saying well, the if one, he goes the any further. on the table, yeah. 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 So, uh, you know, he, he's, it's presentational, I think, that he is edged back towards, um, you know, the recalcitrant uh, rebel Tories and edged back towards the Labour people who want to vote for a deal. In reality... The substance seems still to be that they want a free trade agreement. You know, it's a hard Brexit, much harder uh, than Theresa May proposed. And the problem, the sticking point for him is now going to be Northern Ireland, because I think that the ERG lot will be relatively sanguine about the economic provisions. In terms of other pressure points for Labour, I would say they're going to face a lot of... Um, pressure from the unions over the next few days. I think Francis O'Grady from the TUC has come out and said MPs cannot vote for this deal. Um, I've had some union people on the phone today comparing it to to the Iraq vote, saying that so little is known about it that they can't vote for it. It'll be be subject to a future inquiry. I think it'll be tough for them. And and a lot of people will look to Jeremy Corbyn and his discipline um, if he's going to threaten Labour MPs who 
rebel, then that's a different matter. I think the real problem as well is one of time, because the government will find out later today whether the House votes for a Saturday sitting, and and if it does, then what happens on Saturday? But um, the curious thing is that it's in the Ben Act itself that actually this October 19th deadline is in there. And it's implicit that therefore on October 19th, they set the date in the Bennett, the people who drafted the Bennett, 19, very, they knew when the European summit was going to be, which was going to be just a couple of days before. So it's implicit in the act that actually you don't have much time to, to actually decide on what the EU summit has come up with, what the deal is, and then to vote on it, whether you reject it or, or and I think that's a slight problem with the, the Ben Act, actually. They could have allowed a few more days, because what you're going to hear now from all parties, from the ERG, we're already hearing it, and from Labour, we can't how could we possibly vote on this? We don't, it's a massive document. We know a lot of it, but there's a lot of new detail here. We need to digest it, um, you know, and go through it as a type fine-tooth comb. There's no impact assessment. Where's the Treasury impact assessment? What does it mean from pounds and pence? You're going to hear a lot of that over the next 24 hours. And I suspect then, I don't know what the government's going to do. I mean, a lot of people would prefer another, an, a bit more time, another vote next week to digest it. Interesting. Um, Owen, you mentioned... Northern Ireland. Now, the PM's taken a massive risk by agreeing this deal with the EU without getting the DUP to sign it off. DUP leader Arlene Foster earlier this week rightly suggested she couldn't trust Johnson. Let's have a listen. In a word, do you trust Boris Johnson, yes or no? (laughs) Look, this has been put to me many, many times. I've always said what I trust is myself. I trust myself. So you don't trust him, essentially? Well, I trust myself to do what is right for the people of Northern Ireland. That's what I'm elected to do, and that's right. what I'm But it's, but it's interesting to, to, to see that but you it, can't say you trust the Prime Minister in these negotiations. In these negotiations because I have to trust myself to do what is right for the people but of Northern Ireland. Your problem is, of course, you're not at the negotiating table. Yes, but uh, I think everybody knows that if we don't support this deal, which we do want to do, by the way, we want to be able to support this deal, then it doesn't reach the requisite numbers in the House of Commons, and everybody knows that. Um, Owen, what does this mean for Northern Ireland? And why couldn't the DUP sign up for it? Are their concerns legitimate? Uh, I think their concerns are legitimate from their perspective. Um, you know, the, the raison d'etre of the DUP is to maintain Northern Ireland's place in the union of the UK and not to see divergence for Northern Ireland from the from the provisions for the rest of the UK. And this deal clearly changes Northern Ireland's status vis-a-vis the rest of the UK. It puts them in a a halfway house, abiding by EU regulations on goods and agricultural issues, um, but ostensibly also still in the the UK's customs uh, union. Now, that's a sort of limbo land um, that I think will mean problems in terms of certainty for uh, Irish business and Irish citizens, consequently, north and south. And crucially, of course, the limbo land goes on and on because it gets um, retested every four or eight years. Um, so the the worst thing about this, the thing that is so utterly reprehensible and reckless by this Tory government is that they've thrust the constitutional question back into the heart of Irish politics when we in a Labour government and the Tory government before us and the Tory government after us thought we'd successfully shelved that question, put it to one side in order to allow normal politics or the normalisation of politics in Northern Ireland uh, to try and take root 
uh, and you know for, to to allow the constitutional question to to wither over on the vine over time. This thrusts it right back into the heart of Irish politics. It says every four years, and frankly, for you know all the periods in between, you're going to have a running conversation in Northern Irish politics about whether we're in or out, um, and that's. I think, reckless in extreme. And it does risk the security and um, the the peace process in, in, in general. It's a, it's a terrible, terribly reckless thing that Johnson's done. And it just goes to show that Carson was right uh, in earlier um, uh, unionist leader, you can't trust the Tories on Northern Ireland. They uh, they play with Northern Ireland. They don't they don't treat it seriously and they don't, I, in my view, give a damn. Do you think... Sorry, go on. I was going to say, do you think how, how much of a unionist do you think Jeremy Corbyn is? I think Jeremy Corbyn's always been sceptical about the union. I mean, Jeremy Corbyn. Jeremy Corbyn is someone who has expressed support for Irish independence and and for Irish unity uh, throughout his political career, and uh, you know comes from a political tradition that's very different from mine. I'm somebody who fundamentally believes in sharing risks and pooling rewards, and believes in the Labour Party and the union as being the two institutions created in our country that are best able to share risks and pool rewards. And however imperfectly they've done that, they're the best we've come up with, and that's why they should be sustained, and both are in jeopardy. Isn't the interesting thing in, in this that the DUP, as, as Owen said, um, are trying to now rely on the Good Friday Agreement, the very thing they never signed up to. But what what, what was in the Good Friday Agreement was this idea of, you know, um, effectively a, a unionist veto. You know, it's called cross cross-community um, uh, consent and it basically means a double majority you've got to, to get anything done to change things you have to have the nationalist community and the unionist community a majority of both um, and what's happened is that this deal junks that in, because it knows it's quite a high bar and in favour of a simple majority for, for things to continue and I think what's really curious is that um, you've got this very, very difficult thing about the Good Friday Agreement, which everyone at the time kind of ignored. Everyone went on about, quite rightly, about the massive success for the peace process and everything else. The stuff that the DUP didn't particularly like. Um, and everyone kind of neglected the fact that actually what was built into it to make it work for the unionists, um, for the Ulster unionists in particular who were negotiating at the time, was this the effective veto for the unionism. And I think that... Yeah, it's a really strange bit of politics how unintended consequences can actually reverberate many, many decades later, and well, it I, has now. I, I, I sort of disagree with you, Paul, in, only in as much as, you know, I worked in Northern Ireland for the last Labour government um, trying to keep the peace process going for a three-year period. You know, it is only an unbelievable lack of historical memory that has allowed people to forget that the Good Friday Agreement is an incredibly delicate, poised political settlement that is you know, predicated essentially on a unique form of power sharing in order to give both sides comfort and certainty that they can't be overruled or overrun by the other. And that is both in respect of Ireland, North and South. So the only way in which you can change under the terms of the Good Friday Agreement the constitutional status of Northern Ireland is people agree to it in the North and in the South. And the only way in which you can change important constitutional features of the agreement is if in the Assembly you get agreement amongst unionists yeah. and nationalists, you know, Republicans and... And, and it is, it's like a great Jenga tower, isn't it, the Good Friday Agreement? If you pull out one tiny bit, the whole thing can fall right. apart. But don't you think it's odd, though, Owen? I mean, surely you're what you're... What, you, what was your? What would be your solution? Obviously, your solution is to remain in the EU. I get that. But if, if you were trying to negotiate 
some sort of Brexit deal. And there was uh, what consent mechanism would you want for Northern Ireland? Well, I, I wouldn't. I mean, would you I, stick to that double majority? Would you I continue to give to. them a veto? I think you've got to. You've That's got. You've got to. You know, it, it is a fundamental underpinning of the Good Friday Agreement that both sides have that certainty that the other side can't through simple majority and and let's you know go back in history to understand why that is you know it is about the unionist majority over a catholic um, nationalist minority in northern ireland being at the heart of the constitutional irish question not just recently for centuries so this isn't uh, you know this, this was a way of it, doesn't it? it dublin isn't happy with that unionist veto and wants to and thinks it should evolve over time and you know I think that's quite the, in the Doyle yesterday the teacher actually said true, look there are real problems with it true but of course these are nationalist parties in the Republic who also have as their objectives a united Ireland yeah. and the point about the Good Friday Agreement is that they could have those objectives and they could be respected by the other side but those objectives couldn't be realised and the, the, the status of Northern Ireland couldn't be changed without agreement by the community North and south and both sides of the uh, of the orange green divide and that's what this plays with in the most careless reckless way and i tell you what the loss of historical memory in government the stripping out of expertise from the nio the running down of the northern ireland office the fact that the very few people have got any experience of this these chickens are coming home to roost unfortunately and it's uh, it's something a lot of people have been saying for a long time it's going to be really interesting if, if Jeremy Corbyn tries that pitch at the dispatch box, goes to the DUP, look, I'm on your side, <laughs> they're not on your side, I'm on your side, I, and follows what Owen says. That would be a really interesting moment. Irony lives. Owen, in practical terms, and if this deal gets through and, 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 and with everything that's so bad for the Good Friday Agreement, what happens on the ground on, on the island of Ireland? Well, the, the main thing that would happen is that um, the constitutional question is back at the heart of political debate on a daily basis. And every four years, there would be a massive um, hoo-ha about this. Um, And I suspect that, of course, all sorts of people who, for various malign or potentially benign, but you know, the ones we would worry about for malign purposes, will exploit it. You know, dissident Republicans will use it as a means to kick off. People who are uh, loyalists, uh, you know, and have been active in the past will will see it as a uh, as a reason for their you know, expressing their political views once more when they've been relatively quiet for the the, the a long period now. You know, it is it is just um, it's an incredibly short sighted and an incredibly cavalier approach to something that has been so carefully and delicately crafted and which we already know is not just fragile it's not working you know it's been in abeyance for two and a half years so the fragility of it is there right before our eyes this thing can collapse at the, the you know the earliest opportunity there were you know people have been shot dead in recent uh, months let alone years Car bombs have gone off on the streets of Northern Ireland. The reports are that Boris Johnson has been pulled short by the security services saying to him that there was a significant risk of dissident Republican activity uh, here on in Great Britain if uh, he, he, you know, he, he messed this up. What more do you need to say? that We're, we're running the risk of having terrorist attacks again in our country i mean it's just extraordinary that we've come to this and for what for uh, for you know illusory uh, benefits of brexit and rachel the government's been trying to pull out all the stops to try and get the dup on side despite 
everything we've just discussed. So it would seem, yeah. <laughs> uh, we've got, uh, well, there are two ways they could try to convince the DUP to, to get behind this deal, even though Arlene Foster said any kind of customs border in the Irish Sea is blood red line for her. Um, one would be money. So when they come to renegotiate any confidence and supply agreement, either before or potentially after an election if there's another hung parliament so that could mean cash could mean more cash for Northern Ireland um, alternatively they could also look at abortion law which is one of the big big issues for the DUP in their heartlands um, it's essentially Northern Ireland at the moment is the only region of the, of the that UK that would be so appalling they couldn't possibly use the changes to abortion law as a bargaining chip in this that would just be beyond the pale as as it stands, the, the 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 UK Parliament, the Westminster, has has legislated legislated to effectively decriminalise abortion from Tuesday, um, unless Stormont gets back up and running in that time. So it's being alleged by Stella Creasy, the MP who led efforts to decriminalise abortion in Northern Ireland. She's she's been alleging that. Um, there are some kind, there's some kind of backroom deal being cut between the UK government and the DUP, which would see um, the, the powers essentially be handed back to Stormont so that they could then look at the issue on their own. Um, but it's been already thrown out numerous times via the petition of concern mechanism, which gives this cross-community support. Oh, yeah. So, so yeah. it would, would effectively stop those changes in their in their tracks and as i think stella said it would be something that would it see women's rights effectively be used as bargaining chips so. and it is extraordinary i mean julian smith tweeted this little video this week basically saying look let's get the let's get the storm back up up and running then you can talk about abortion again <laughs> and which is amazing and stella creasy quite rightly spotted this raised it in house last night with the minister the minister didn't deny it and um we'll see how that plays out um and how much of Jeremy Corbyn raises it as well. I have this theory, anyway, on the DUP, that it doesn't matter if Boris loses on Saturday, if the vote goes down, because then he has an election, he says, this is the deal I've negotiated, uh, please give me a majority for it, gets his majority, then the DUP don't matter and he gets a deal through. Yeah, it. but that, the problem with that approach, and Owen will tell you this, is throwing the DUP under the bus is not a nice or sensible strategy long-term for the Tory party, because... Um, not only do you potentially irritate and lose hardcore Brexiteers who feel that the union really does matter as much as Brexit, that the union really, really matters. Um, you trash your reputation as a unionist party. Um, you know, it's one of the main defining brands. We keep hearing this phrase from Boris Johnson, the awesome foursome, as he calls it, the four bits of the UK. Um, you trash that. Um, and boy, would the DUP, you know, um, let you know it as well. There's, and the question also is, it's quite a gamble for Boris. Yeah, he, he could get a majority, but what does he need? He's going to need a majority of what, more than 30, 40 to make that work? And currently looking at even the worst case scenario on the polls, I'm not sure how easy that majority is. So it's a hell of a risk. But there is a risk for the DUP as well. This could be the best they ever get. In terms, I wrote this last night. This could be the best deal they'll ever see. You know, um, the risk for them is Jeremy Corbyn winning the general election. Uh, so, you know. I, I think Johnson will see the risk as slightly different in as much as I think he will see it in pragmatic, practical terms. The risk is that um, he's still going to rely on DUP votes at some point in the future. And 
I don't think he gives a damn about uh, the Tory... I don't think he gives a damn about the Union. I think the Tory party have long since trashed their reputation as guardians of the Union. Um, you know, just remember, again, have some historical memory, they dumped the Unionist bit from their title as a Conservative Party not that long ago and then had to quietly put it back in. Um, so, you know, that tells you quite a lot, I think. Um, you know, this is a Tory government led by Cameron that in the aftermath of the... Uh, referendum decision. His very first move was to effectively try and declare that we had an English Parliament here. Now that was his response to it. The um, English votes on English laws legislation. You know they've written off Scotland on many occasions, although they made a bit of a comeback. I don't think they give two figs about Wales. So you know I think this is a, a, a nativist English Tory party in very many ways, and I think many people in Northern Ireland, including the DUP, understand that, which is why they've long been wary of. Of, uh, of the solidity of Johnson's support for them. So I think you'll see in terms of the numbers, is he going to need those votes at some point in the future? Yeah. And he might well do. I did wonder when um, uh, we spoke to Steve Baker after the European Research Group meeting this week, it was quite striking. He's, uh, he was asked about um, the DUP, because I think Nigel Evans had said previously the week before that the ERG would only ever back the deal if if the DUP did and then uh, Steve Baker comes out and says you know as it's not my job as a as a Buckinghamshire MP to um, be more unionist than the DUP yeah. and that was kind of a complete split of the ways and I thought I wonder if you will end up regretting. Well it's totally that. new isn't it look the, the hard right of the Tory party didn't used to be wedded to the DUP in any way shape or form in fact they used to be the bit of the Tory party that was most likely to say oh, we don't really care about Northern Ireland you know let them go their own way. Also um, historically the big divisions the DUP were almost a bit like uh, UKIP in a sense that actually when it comes to social policy I mean not quite like UKIP obviously but when it comes to social policy and things like welfare cuts DUP would side with Labour they would be dead against welfare cuts um, when it comes to more money boy do they believe in investment rather than cuts you know so ideologically that you, I mean Owen's absolutely right they're not the hard right on, on politics yeah it's interesting I, I speak to a couple of DUP MPs and one of them regularly says to me that they they consider themselves centre-left, which not many people would think. There well, they're go. a broad church, you know, is, yeah. is the truth. They are united, obviously, in their constitutional politics and in their antecedents, they're united in terms of uh, their religious background. Um, you know, you've got to remember the roots of the party. Um, but uh, absolutely, there are people who are sort of fiscally hawkish on their side. There's other people like Jim Shannon who on social and economic issues would would vote with Labour nine times out of ten. Um, anyway, Johnson faces another hurdle on Saturday, and that's opposition MPs like you, Owen, uh, lining up to try and make his deal subject to a referendum. Shadow Brexit Minister Jenny Chapman confirmed Jeremy Corbyn would back the idea. Let's have a listen to her. I would expect the way this would work, and this is all subject to you know events, but the expectation would be that should a deal be tabled on Saturday, and we don't know that that's right, going to happen, it. but if it is, I am as sure as you can be that there will be an amendment tabled uh, that would want to see a referendum... Attached to the deal. Attached to the deal. And Labour would support that? I would expect us to support that, yes. So rather than having an election, you would rather have a referendum which will keep Boris Johnson as Prime Minister for months to come? Well, I'd rather have a general election. Labour were kind of playing this down, this Jenny Chapman interview, but it's actually a fairly big shift, isn't it, for Corbyn to back a referendum on Johnson's deal? Yeah, I, th- I think it is. I mean, you, the, the spin is that oh, there's nothing to see here, move on, you know, this is not really a big shift in policy, but I think it really is. Um, 
Um, whether or not people like Owen are convinced by it is another question. But um, officially, the Labour Party now will be backing a referendum on any deal, not just, and that includes bon- Boris Johnson's deal, um, you know, in, and voting that way accordingly in Parliament. And I, I think that's a massive shift, not just in the last year, but historically as well. And I think, I'm, I'm not overplaying it, but I do think. John McDonnell's role in this has been really crucial, uh, and the departure of Carrie Murphy, his chief, Corbyn's chief of staff, has been helpful, shall we say, to get, getting Jeremy Corbyn to focus rigorously on the idea that actually, yep, yeah, a second referendum is now party policy. It was agreed at a conference. There was a hiccup over whether or not we go remain or not remain. But actually, at least we were totally behind a referendum. And that's going to be interesting. The, the, but the problem, I think, for Corbyn, given this Brexit deal now has apparently been agreed with Brussels, the big problem is how do you square the circle? You want all those Labour MPs who are in leave seats to defeat this Boris Johnson deal, right? You, you definitely want them to defeat it because it's in Corbyn's interest to, you know, as, as Owen said, they do not want any of the undercutting of workers' rights, all these reasons from a Labour point of view, to vote it down. So you want that number to be tiny who vote with Corb- with Johnson. How at the same time do you get those people on board if if you're then ramming them through the voting lobbies on a second referendum? I don't quite get that. Surely the, the sensible tactical thing for Corbyn is to go easy and be vague about the whole second referendum stuff and not push it as a three-line whip. But if you pushed it too far, surely the danger is that some of these MPs in leave areas will say, well, God, I'm, there's no way I'm going to be voting for that. If you're going to force that on me, I'm going to vote for Johnson's deal. Owen, oh, do you trust Corbyn on this? Because the suggestion it's a, it's a bit of a free hit to back a referendum now, considering there's so many hurdles to actually get one. Yeah, look, I mean, my view is it's too bloody late. Um, we should have been in this position three plus years ago um you know that's what i've been arguing throughout that entire period and you're right there's a there's there's a there's a good reason to be cynical about it i suppose in as much as uh it's a deathbed conversion um at the point at the point at which it may well be irrelevant or a moot point if the deal is going to go through so you know it could be seen as trying to have your cake and eat it um, and at a point at which we're 15% behind in the polls. So uh, I'm very clear that it's the right position for us to take. It's uh, the right position democratically to say to people that now you understand the Brexit deal that is actually on offer with all its risks to peace and prosperity. Is this what you voted for and do you want to vote for it again? Um, are you certain? Uh, I've always believed that Brexit's a calamitous mistake for our country. Uh, and wanted a second referendum explicitly in order to allow people to change their mind and draw back from the brink. I've never never hidden my objective in in that regard. Um, but as I said, you know, I've, I've, if we'd been arguing for that consistently for the last few years, I think British politics would be in a very different place, and the Labour Party would be in a very different place. But we haven't. Do you think there's a majority there now for this confirmatory referendum? Lots of people are saying there is. I don't know. Um, yeah. I mean, uh, I I genuinely don't know. It's going to be close, obviously, because all of these votes are close, and it was relatively close last time. Um, it was the the option that secured the largest number of votes, um, but it's still lost, and I genuinely don't know how that's going to play out. I hope I hope we do succeed because it feels to me that what's currently on offer 
even if it passes this place, is going to be so inherently unstable. And there are so many questions still left open. Um, you know, it, it, it's it's a real, it's still a blind Brexit that we're being asked to vote for. Is the truth? You know, there is very little detail about what the future is going to look like, other than vaguely they want it to be a free trade agreement. I.e., they want it to be a hard Brexit. So, if you're voting for it, you're voting for let's have a hard Brexit that in which we could well end up trying to massively undercut the European Union because our economy's in the toilet um, through cutting workers' rights, cutting regulations, cutting wages. And truthfully, lots of those Tories have always wanted to do that because they've seen that as ideologically the right thing to do and they see it as economically the most uh, efficient way to achieve success for our economy. You know, they're wrong. They've always been wrong, and this is merely the latest means by which they're trying to prosecute that age-old argument. And, Owen, how has it gone down on the doorstep Labour's party conference policy on, on a referendum and on Brexit generally? I mean, when you're out on the doorstep in Wales, I mean, surely the big problem you've got is you've got, in lots of areas of Wales, the Brexit party looking really strong on, on eating away at your some of your lever vote. And on the other side, you've got Plaid and you've got Greens and you've got the Lib Dems all saying, actually, we're the true Remainers. I mean, how does it play out, for example, in, in and around your area? Well, there was a poll out this week that showed the Labour Party on 28% in Wales and the Tories on 25% and the Liberals, I think, on 20%. Uh, and if that translated into seats at the next election, Labour would win, I think, 18 seats out of the 40 and the Tories would win us about 17 um, by comparison, in 1997, Labour won all 40 seats in Wales, um, and that would be the biggest set of votes and seats the Tories had won since the 1930s. Right. Big stakes. Well, you know, massive changes, and, uh, you know, Labour... Is it hard to explain your policy on the doorstep? Or is it easier since conference? Uh, I think it's easier since conference because we're able to say we're in favour of a second referendum and we would propose a second referendum. Um, But honestly, Paul, I think the damage has been done by three years of prevarication and dithering. And I think it's sunk into the woodwork that we took a long time to come to this decision. Yeah, people don't maybe trust you even if you say you're in favour of Remain. Well, the, the fundamental problem is, of course, people pe- pe- people aren't daft. People know that Jeremy Corbyn wasn't in favour of the European Union for years and years and years and years. And then they hear Jeremy Corbyn say all of a sudden he was in favour of Remain and he voted Remain. Uh, and then they heard him saying, well, he wasn't quite sure if we were going to have a referendum. And if we did have a referendum, he didn't know which way he was going to vote and he couldn't commit to it one way or the other. And now he's in favour of a second referendum. And I think people listen to that and aren't sure what to believe. And you simply can't go into the next election promising a referendum, can you? I mean, that's a more difficult position. I'm sure you're probably one of the MPs that would be preferring a referendum before an election. Oh, totally. Look, an an election before a referendum is going to be a proxy for a referendum, but an imperfect proxy with all sorts of other issues thrown into it. Um, And it will be completely, you know, it won't resolve this issue. You know, unless we resolve the Brexit question one way or the other, either because we've left without a deal, uh, without a referendum rather, or for preference we've had a referendum and allowed allowed people to have their say on the deal, uh, that's the only way in which this is going to be settled. Ah, but isn't the future relationship going to be sorted by an election no matter what happens, referendum now or even after a referendum? It's going to be an election that sorts out 
who sorts out the future relationship with the EU, right? Well, it would be an election in which there would be effectively a single issue. And, you know, For all that we might want to talk about all of the other things, an election prior to uh, a, a referendum or prior to a deal would revolve around Brexit. Now, we thought that last time, but we are now three years further on and we are so much closer to the deadline. It is so much you know, drilled into public consciousness that this is a, a, an issue hanging over the entire country. I don't think however much we wanted to talk about schools and hospitals, people would deflect their gaze from the central issue or Brexit and where you stand on it. Um, and that's why I think it's a, it's a really bad way to try and finish this off. And Owen, given that you did stand against Jeremy Corbyn famously for the Labour leadership. What do you think has been the impact of the Brexit mess over Labour policy in the last few years? And what would be the impact of that on a future leadership election? For example, obviously it wouldn't be Jeremy Corbyn next time, but it may be a Jeremy Corbyn-style candidate. Has Europe and Brexit made life more difficult for them? And do you think that someone from your tradition in the party might have a better chance of winning? I don't know, and I think that the um, some some of the some of some of the I think misconceptions around which that last in fact the last two contests uh, revolved, which was a, a you know a sense that this was being viewed as a, through a binary prism of you know do you want to go back to Tony Blair or go forward with Jeremy Corbyn? Do you want a more radical or less radical set of policies for Labour? I think all of that stuff was. Um, you know, was was deliberately overblown and and made divisive, and I think unfortunately that any future gen uh, leadership contest will have that similar binary frame placed on it by the people who want that binary frame placed on it. Um, but Europe has definitely changed perceptions of Jeremy because some of the people who were very supportive of him feel that he's not uh, pursue the right policy on Europe and it's undoubtedly loosened his the the loyalties of those people for for him personally um, what that would mean in a future contest I do not know the thing I find really fascinating is that Angie Rayner has who's a possible candidate for next time has made quite clear her deep reservations about a second referendum and how does that play out with the membership I don't know um, whereas it might be someone who's a Corbyn-style candidate may say, yeah, I'm out there, I'm, I'm actually in favour of a second referendum. Um, could be interesting, anyway. But, but, Owen, when do you think the leadership election's coming in Labour? I presume after the, uh, after the next election, if Labour doesn't succeed in winning the next election. That's um, a big if, isn't it, I'll take, Owen? I'll take John... Well, look, we're at 22% in the polls at the moment, aren't we? And the Tories on, th- what, 37 in the last one I saw. So we're 15 points behind. So that's, you know, that's not a good place from which to start, however much you don't believe the polls or think that during a, a general election, Labour will get a fair media hearing and, and, and therefore bounce out. And we will get, you know, obviously more airtime and we will bounce up from that, I've no doubt. Can you bounce 15 points? I'm not sure. Right. Now, we've just about got time for a quiz, quiz, which I very, very hastily put together while waiting for everyone to arrive oh, here. So if it's no good, then and, sure then the, good and the answers hasty. and questions are incorrect, like last week, uh, <laughs> one of them was, uh, then sorry. So not even you know the answers. Well, How no, I, I know the answers, but um, I've basically but you nicked, had a proper the, nicked these quiz week. questions from That's internet websites. Apologies to them, because I didn't have time to put a proper one together. Stop making uh, excuses. Let's, <laughs> right, let's crack on. Let's um, go for just it. Just do it. It's all on Northern Ireland given where we are. 
So which, well, gives, which gives Owen a distinct advantage. Or, or designed to make me look like a fool when I don't, when wow. I don't get something really easy right. I know what this game, I've played this game before. It's let's make the politician look like a wally. <laughs> well, we'll see. When did a physical customs border first go up on the island of Ireland? Wow, that's a good question. Bugger. Well, it's not going to be 1921. No, it's not, is it? Um, is it after the war? Or, ah, how about... How about 1939? Would there no. have been some military reason for it? That's incorrect. Oh, damn. Don't know. Um, Any guesses? No? I really don't know. Do you want to clue? You were close with what you said. Well, look, I mean, the obvious, the obvious thing is, you know, in line with partition and in the 1920s, so either in 1921 or after the Civil War. And yeah, nineteen twenty-three. Okay, ah, there we go. April first. Right. Yeah, I'll give you a point for that because you were. I, pretty I think close. I was pretty damn close. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, how many days has Stormont been without government? Oh God, how many uh, days? I'm, I'm gonna Is days. It two years. I'm gonna say. I actually know the answer to this. So oh, because um, we were discussing it before. Oh yeah, you're five. Six hundred. I'm gonna say six fifty. No. Way oh, more. Well, no, so it's two and a half. So it's oh. two two years and ten months, isn't it? Right. Well, there we go. That's a well, it's, it's it's a thousand and six days. Whoa! There you go. Wow. No points for that for anyone. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I gave it to you in years and months. <laughs> I asked for days. I would. Okay. Well, <laughs> I didn't realise. I didn't realise a maths quiz. <laughs> but politics is all about maths, right? You should, yeah. I was show first rule of politics for a while. Exactly. <laughs> Ed Balls moved me on quickly. <laughs> he can't count. Make him go to Wales. <laughs> right, final one. How much money did the government spend on Northern Ireland to secure the confidence and supply deal with the DUP? Was it 2.1 billion? Or was it 3 billion? Oh, something like It's between 2 and 3. I've got, oh, I must 10 have, gazillion. I must have got that wrong. <laughs> it's 1 billion. It's, I was yeah, going to say 1 billion, yeah. It's yeah. A million. All right, you were going to say it, yeah. so yeah, I'll give you it. You were going to say it. I was yeah. going to say, yeah, I probably yeah, shouldn't I, be like, I, I, I'm going to say it. I was convinced. <laughs> I actually didn't know that. He didn't it's ask me. It's a draw. Rachel won Owen one poll. Yeah, zero. I was going for comedy value. Yeah. <laughs> Unfortunately, that's all we have time for this week. Thank you to my guests. And make sure you subscribe to Commons People on all the usual channels so you can catch us every Thursday and get your daily dose of the latest politics news by signing up to the Warzone newsletter at bit.ly forward slash war hyphen zone or follow the link in the episode notes. We'll just leave you with Tory Brexiteer Marc Francois struggling to give an interview outside Parliament earlier this week. When yourself say that you will make recommendations to your group of MPs based on your knowledge of the negotiations, what is the latest detail that you have? Are you party to any information that we haven't heard so far? Uh, not really. We, we have... We had talks. If we leave, it will be delightful that this idiot will shut up. He's exercising his democratic right. I appreciate it makes it very difficult to do an interview, and we do want to hear we'll have a go. as well. We will try. We'll have a go. We had a Come meeting on, yesterday at number 10. We've got another meeting later this afternoon. We haven't yet been given the full details of the deal because by the sound of it, it still hasn't been finalised with Brussels. But what the ERG meant last night... Hold up. 
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.